1: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
0: Real love is calling, listen. truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is
2: waiting for you every sunrise. God distributes gifts as He chooses. So, you may have the gift of tongues, you may not. That doesn't mean that you are or aren't filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't look at it as the evidence. It can be an evidence, but it's not the evidence that one is filled with, baptized by the Holy Spirit. The evidence is love. There's a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, that is neatly sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. This
1: is Cornerstone Connection, The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. When you accept Christ and receive the Spirit, there are many gifts for which you may be blessed. Some gifts of the Spirit include prophecy, serving, teaching, and speaking in tongues. God chooses which gifts to give each individual. Today, Pastor Gary encourages us to not worry about any specific fruit of the Spirit, being an indicator of our salvation. Instead, the evidence that we are filled with the Spirit is love. You may be blessed with speaking in tongues or another gift. Having one gift or the other is not the indicator of the Spirit in our life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message in Acts, chapter 2, 13.
2: The gift of tongues is a known language that someone is speaking. It is known to someone somewhere else around the world but it is never known to the one speaking. Now, why would God give a gift that you don't even understand? The miraculous ability to speak a language that is unfamiliar to yourself. Seems odd, doesn't it? Well, I'll explain it, but let me go further and tell you the third thing that it is, and then we'll tie it together. It is for the purpose of praise and prayer to God. That is the purpose of the gift of tongues. It is for the purpose of praising God or praying to him in a language that would connect your heart with the heart of God, even though you don't understand what you're saying. Now, I'll show you here further down Acts 2.11. Notice why we call it a praise language, because when the bystanders hear the, the 120 in the upper room speaking in tongues, it said there at the end of verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue or in our own language. That's what they're doing, declaring the wonders of God. They're praising the Lord. They're offering praise to God in a language that bystanders individually understand because they hear somebody speaking it in their language, but it is unfamiliar to the one speaking. In addition, in 1 Corinthians 14 15 to 16, Paul tells us that it is unfamiliar to the one speaking because he talks about his own speaking in tongues, the gift that he has. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says in verse 15, So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit. He's praying in a tongue, praying with my spirit. But I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit. Sing in, sing in the spirit, speaking in tongues as you're worshiping. But I will also sing with my mind. Okay, he, says, he says there's times I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray in another language. God's given me this gift and, and that I don't understand. And then there's going to be times I pray with my mind engaged in a language I do know. There's going to be sometimes I worship in a language I don't know. Sometimes I worship in a language I do know. You know, sometimes people have this idea that the gift of tongues is, and I don't mean this to be disparaging to anybody, only to illustrate it. Somebody thinks that it's like Tourette's. It's like you have no control over it, and all of a sudden, you just start blurting out, you know, some foreign language. That's not what the gift of tongues is. You have complete control over your mouth like anything else. But it is just that you are speaking a language... That is unfamiliar to you. And so in the rest of 1 Corinthians 14, this is what Paul says. He goes, sometimes I pray in the Spirit, sometimes I pray with my mind. Sometimes I sing in the Spirit, sometimes I sing with my mind. And then he adds in verse 16, if you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? So why is it then that God would give someone a gift to speak in a language that they themselves don't understand. And the answer is this. When you think about language, just language in general, it is a wonderful thing. You have the ability to communicate. You have the ability to express yourself, to connect with someone through words. Now, all of us have had friends or or probably been to foreign countries where you don't know that other person's language. You know how limiting that feels you're trying to connect you're trying to discuss something and and you, you can't find the right words you only maybe you know a little bit of their language you know a little bit of yours and you both have broken languages that you're trying to connect language can be a wonderful thing when both people speak the same language and both people have the same definition for the words that you're using Have anybody here spoken actually the same language as someone else, but you even had different interpretations for the very words that you're using, and now all of a sudden you're not connecting and communicating? Yeah, it's called marriage. (laughs) Are we both speaking English? I just said this, you said that, did you hear me say this? I didn't hear you say that, you didn't say this. Yes, you did, you said that. You could be speaking the same language and still feel like you're not communicating, amen? Okay, so language is wonderful when it works. And when it doesn't work, you're at a loss. So how is it that we can best connect our our feelings and our heart with the heart of God if language has limitations? And so what God does is He distributes this particular gift as He wills so that people can pray to Him and praise Him, bypassing Bypassing the ability to understand, but nevertheless expressing from spirit to spirit what is on your heart. Because again, language is a wonderful thing, but if you've ever been to a place where you feel like you don't even know how to express yourself, have you ever poured out your heart to God and you just didn't even know words to express to Him? Maybe you've been in tremendous agony or grief or some place in your life where you didn't even know how to put it into words and you were at a loss of words, and so you just kind of maybe even just fell on your face before God, maybe in your bedroom, you're just crying, you're weeping, you're pouring out your heart, you don't even know what to say, you can't communicate it. You know what God does? He gives us, as He distributes it, a gift to be able to bypass the intellect and connect heart to heart with a language that you don't necessarily understand, but it flows from your lips to communicate the full expression of your heart to the heart of God. That's why he gives this gift, because language has some limitations. So that's what it is. Now, let me tell you what it is not. There's a lot more you could say about uh, you know what it is and what it isn't, but just for the sake of time, I pick three and three. What it is not. It is not for evangelizing the lost. This is a misnomer that some people think that the gift of tongues was given so that, for example, you could go on a mission field to a foreign country where you don't speak the language and all of a sudden you miraculously get the language and you're able to communicate the gospel. That is not the way the gift of tongues is used at all in the Bible. It is a prayer-praise language to God. It is not a language to communicate to other people. I've been in some churches where someone stands up and they they have a word in in a tongue. That's just a misuse of the gifts of the Spirit. The, The gift of tongues is not to be uttered for the benefit of others. It is to be uttered as prayer or praise to God. You know why the gift of interpretation is given as one of the other gifts of the Spirit? Not so that we can hear a word for us, but so that we can, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, join in on your thanksgiving to God. So that we can be edified and build up in our spirit when we rejoice in hearing what you're saying to God. That is the only reason why interpretation is given, to join in on the thanksgiving. But it is to be uttered to God. It is not a gift that is given for evangelizing the lost. Now that isn't to say that God couldn't miraculously give someone... A language in a foreign country for the purpose of communicating and evangelizing the lost. He can do whatever he wants, and I don't think that that would be an impossibility, because that would be a miraculous thing. God could do that, but that simply is not the gift of tongues. That might be a miraculous thing that God could do, but that's not, by definition, the gift of tongues. It's not used to evangelize the lost. When Peter gets up here and preaches in a moment, and starting in verse 14, he is speaking either in... The general language of the day, which is Greek, which everybody would have known, it's a common man's language, or he may have been speaking in Aramaic, which all the Jews would have understood since he's speaking to Jews. But this is not a a tool to be used for evangelizing the lost. Another thing that it is not is it is not for exercising in a public church setting, but rather for personal or small group settings. This is different from what some churches practice. I realize that. There were some brothers and sisters from certain churches who would hear me say that and say, no, I disagree. It's, it's for the public setting. But I'm going to give you some quick verses and tell you why it seems to me that Paul's pretty clear about the use in public corporate settings. First Corinthians 14, 18 and 19. I gave you the verses up there. I'll read it to you. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church. I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. He actually diminishes the use of that particular gift in the corporate public church setting. He says, I speak in tongues more than anybody else. Don't tell me how much you speak in tongues. Don't try to outbid me in a poker game. I speak more than all of you. But in the church, uh uh-uh. It's not the place for it. He also adds 1 Corinthians 14.23, So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand, or some unbelievers come in, won't they think that you're out of your mind? That's what he says right there in 1 Corinthians 14, 23. We have to be sensitive to the fact that there will be on any given Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday, when we have corporate church, that people will come into our fellowship who are not believers. I thank God for them; those who are not believers. They're coming to learn. They're coming to seek. Maybe they were dragged here, I don't know, but at least they're here. And if people were speaking in tongues, Paul says, if you do that in a public church service, people who come in and don't understand, they're going to think you're out of your mind, they're going to think you're crazy. And frankly, I think that some churches who disregard a a strong warning like that really don't care about the unbelievers. They want to have a, a strong little Christian thing going on, but they're not really very sensitive to think about those who don't understand or who are unbelievers, when they come in, they're going to think, you're whacked. All right? So Paul says, don't do it. Here's another verse. 1 Corinthians 14, 39 to 40. He says, therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. In other words, he's not opposed to the use of tongues, but it should be done in an orderly and fitting way. Where's the best place for that? One is in your private prayer closet. Pray in tongues if God's given you that gift. Sing in tongues if God's given you that gift, or in a small group setting, and here's why we say small group setting, because Paul says, if you're worshiping in the corporate sense, and some who do not understand, or unbelievers come in, they'll think you're out of your mind. So in other words, if you're in a small group setting, though, let's say a K group, or some fellowship of a few believers who are gotten together, and everybody's a believer, and everybody understands the proper use of the gifts, then there can be some liberty, But you better know everybody who's in that circle to understand whether they're a believer and whether they get what's going on. Because you don't want to create chaos and division and discord, because God's not a God of discord. He's a God of unity. That's why he says everything should be done decently and in order. Everything should be fitting and in its place. Even in 1 Corinthians, he says, and even then when you have everybody's a believer and everybody understands in a small group setting... He says, even then, this particular gift should only be exercised to, or at most, three people, and always with interpretation. And then he says, and if nobody's there with the gift of interpretation, be quiet and sit down. You know, the Bible gives us a handbook for how this stuff is supposed to function. But somehow or another, just over the centuries, people have just decided, well, you know, these are the gifts, let it all flow, and let it be free, and let's just do all this in the name of the Spirit, and let's just, you know, have at it. And Paul comes along, and if we read our Bibles, he says, you know what? I speak in tongues more than y'all. I love these speaking tongues. But there's a proper way to do things. There's a right order. There's a right place for it. There's a right time for it. We need to be respectful of those who don't understand. So it's not a free-for-all. Now, I get it that in the middle of worship, you know, you might be quietly there worshiping the Lord and singing in the Spirit. That's okay. You're not causing a disruption. Nobody else is, you know, noticing. That's kind of between you and the Lord. But in a corporate setting otherwise... It's not the place. Personal, private use, small group settings where everybody's a believer, everybody understands. Not in the corporate sense. Here's the third thing. It's not the evidence, but an evidence for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The evidence is love. And I make this point because, unfortunately, again, I've heard too many horror stories over the years of pastoring where people lay guilt trips on you. And they say, unless you speak in tongues, you're not really saved. Unless you speak in tongues, you're not really filled with the Spirit. In First Corinthians twelve, twenty-nine to thirty, Paul asks a bunch of rhetorical questions at the end of all this instruction about the gifts, first Corinthians twelve, twenty nine. He says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? These are all rhetorical questions. The answer is no. Not everybody has the gift of healing. Not everybody has the gift of interpretation. Not everybody has the gift of tongues. God distributes gifts as he chooses. So you may have the gift of tongues. You may not. That doesn't mean that you are or aren't filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't look at it as the evidence. It can be an evidence, but it's not the evidence that one is filled with, baptized by, the Holy Spirit. The evidence is love. There's a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, that is neatly sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. 1 Corinthians 12 lists the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 lists the proper function of the of the, of the gifts, in particular tongues and prophecy. And nestled right in between is 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And he goes on. The whole chapter is called the love chapter in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. Because that is the evidence that one is filled with the Spirit. You show me a Christian who's mean as a rattlesnake, that's somebody who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You show me someone who is obviously demonstrating the love of the Lord Jesus... That's the real evidence that they've been filled with the Spirit. And then God can choose and does choose to give whatever gifts He wants to give. But that particular gift is not the evidence. I've heard horror stories about people. I had a lady just two weeks ago come up and tell me. It was a funny story, actually. She might even be here tonight. Who Her native language is Persian. And, and she... She was in a group setting where, and then people do this. I've heard this kind of story many, many times where somebody with good intentions wants you to get filled with the Spirit. So sit here in the chair. Sit here in the chair. And don't leave this chair until you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray over you now. Start opening your mouth. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. Just start uttering. La, 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 la. Start saying. Just start blah, 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 You know, all this kind of stuff. How many of you heard this kind of stuff that goes around? All right. So some of you have. And so she says to me, she says, I was so freaked out. They wouldn't let me out of the chair until I started speaking in tongues. So I just started speaking in my native language of Persian. <laughs> she said, they all thought I got the spirit. So they let me go. She already had the spirit, but she didn't need to speak in tongues to prove anything. But that's the way some people have to. And by the way, I think in her case, she said to me that she she does have the gift of tongues in a separate dialect. But some people do such incredible nonsensical things thinking you got to get this. You got to do this. You got to perform like that. And we put burdens on people and expectations that aren't real and they aren't biblical. God still gives the gift of tongues. And you may receive it. God has a sense of humor, and there are some of you who are like, I don't really believe in the gift of tongues. Look out, you're the one who's going to get it. <laughs> because God's going to challenge your theology to make us open to whatever he might want to do. It is not the chief gift, like, oh, that's the one that we all should... Look, God will give his gifts to the body of Christ so that together we complement each other and the gifts can be used for the glory of God and for the edification of the church. And it isn't a contest. But in this case here, this is what was poured out here at Pentecost. The gift of tongues in this particular case. Yes, all of them were filled with the Spirit. Yes, verse 4, all of them began to speak in other tongues. But you can't make that as an argument for every single time. Because we're going to get a little bit later, maybe a lot later, to Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, Peter and John... We're preaching in Samaria, and it says that they laid hands on the believers to receive the Holy Spirit, and there's no mention of tongues. There's no mention of tongues. They laid hands on them, no mention of tongues. They received the Holy Spirit, no mention of tongues. You get to Acts chapter 10. Peter is preaching to the household of Cornelius. He doesn't lay hands on them. He's just preaching the word. They do get the Spirit and speak in tongues. You go to Acts chapter 19, you have Paul who's making his way through the interior of Ephesus. He does lay hands on people. They do speak in tongues. You can't put the formula together because in Acts 8, they lay hands. Nobody speaks in tongues. Acts 10, they don't lay hands. People do speak in tongues. Acts 19, they laid hands and they spoke in tongues. So it's like, you know, we can't put God in a box and make a formula out of this. The reality is, however, that God still pours out His Holy Spirit and still distributes His gifts. We will see as we make our way through the book of Acts the demonstration of other gifts of the Spirit. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see the raising of the dead. We're going to see a lot of incredible things that God does through His gifts, through His apostles. This one particular gift was poured out here on this first day when the first uh, baptism of the Spirit was poured out And then Peter gets up to address the crowd in verse 14 with this great sermon. And at the end of this great sermon, the first evangelical sermon of the New Testament of the the early church, and about 3,000 people get saved. Last thing, how do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because it would be a shame if we said all this, and then it's like, well, what does that mean for me? It's a lot more simple than people think, and it's a lot less mysterious than people think. How do you... Receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The simple answer is, you ask God and you believe by faith. And I'm going to give you the passage of Scripture. And I want you to really consider this, and then we're going to close. And as many as want to receive the Holy Spirit, you, the fullness of the Spirit. It isn't to say that he's not already indwelling you, but we're talking about the fullness. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Isn't that simple? Jesus says, listen, my Father stands ready to pour out the Holy Spirit to as many as would just ask. Ephesians 5.18 says, be not drunk with wine wherein it leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The interesting grammar of the Greek there translates literally being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not necessarily just a one-time shot, all right? Because we need a regular outpouring of God's Spirit. In fact, you're going to see when we get to Acts 4, they prayed again for boldness To proclaim the Word of God, it says the place where they were staying was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait, I thought they were filled back in chapter 2. They get filled again in chapter 4. In other words, this is an ongoing thing that God loves to do for His children because He knows, as I think it might have been Charles Finney who said, we leak, and so God fills us afresh with His Holy Spirit. So ask, Lord, fill me with that. If you're at a place in your life where you realize, I need more victory over temptation and sin. I need more power that is within than my own just will. I need something supernatural to help me. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you were to say, I want more boldness to be able to witness to my friends and my co-workers, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need more strength in my life. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need that power that God desires to give us. That is Him pouring out from within to empower us and to fill us for His good work.
1: There's much more to glean from the pages of Acts and the history of the early church, but we'll pause our journey through it for today. Join us next time as Pastor Gary continues to share the power of the Holy Spirit with us. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, Pastor Gary, or the church these messages originate from, we encourage you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Browse through our archive of previous messages while you're there. And feel free to share them with friends and family. Download our mobile app as well to keep God's Word with you as you go about your daily activities. Pastor Gary has also made available a study guide to accompany his series in Acts. You can find this digital booklet and companion resources under the teachings tab. Do you live in the Leesburg area or will you be visiting in the near future? If so, we'd like to extend an invitation to join us for our weekly gatherings. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for service times, more information and directions. If you can't join us in person, don't worry. We live stream our services. Just click the link under the Teachings tab. Thanks for joining us today. And be sure to tune in again for another edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know but still you know You're not alone